is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Jeff Burton, Jamie Rivers. Uh, for those two fellas, it's uh, Alex Ferrario it, joining me in the studio and Donnie Fandango. That is the weirdest intro that I think I've ever done in the history of this show. What are you talking about, man? Nailed it. But it's, but it's you know what? It's too awkward and it's too me to, to change. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like how you preface it at the end and you're like, it's too awkward, and it's just too Donnie Fandango for me to do anything different. Yeah, man. So we'll just we'll go ahead and roll or, with or, it, or edit it in post, as our friend <laughs> Jeff Burton would always say. So, uh, Alex, it is um, a super exciting time of yeah. the year, man. Uh, training camp is officially underway. Blues have announced a new captain. There's NHL news going crazy. Uh, this Mike Babcock situation is completely hilarious to me. Um, so there is a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. But I think if it's all right, we'll go to the Blues in a second. But I do want to start with the Babcock thing. Yeah. Because I am so unbelievable. I have so many questions. First of all, I when this came to light, when the Spitting Chicklets podcast you know, kind of brought this out, and, and Paul Bissonnette was the one that said it, I thought to myself... This is such a violation of these players' personal privacy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, n- my boss does not need to know what pictures are on my telephone. Right. You know? And <laughs> so that in and of itself, okay. But then you hear from some of the players that say, oh, no, he was just wanting to see pictures of the family and who I'm playing for, whatever. But I didn't completely buy that either. Like, I just have not completely bought anything. The only thing I still buy is that Mike Babcock sucks and probably does not need to be a head coach in the NHL. Hang on, Donnie. You're not sold by anything Mike Babcock tries to do as a coach after he failed? Well, didn't fail. I mean, the guy won multiple Stanley Cups, but failed once we found out from Detroit, failed in Toronto, and then we found this out. That's shocking in itself. I mean, it's Mike Babcock. And... and I don't know him personally, but you just have heard the stories. I mean, I've I've read the piece from Chris Chelios talking about what Johan Franzen went through with Detroit, saying it's the worst thing he's ever seen in terms of how he was bullied. I went through and read what happened with Mitch Marner in Toronto in terms of Babcock just basically like going the old school route, and then now you get this. And first things first. When Paul Bissonnette said it on Spittin' Chicklets, you knew it was real. And I was surprised the amount of people on social media that were saying, oh, this is just Paul Bissonnette trying to get people to see. Uh, what are you talking about? He's got the most popular podcast in hockey. He's also one of the most popular analysts in hockey right now. Paul Bissonnette doesn't need this. Right. Paul Bissonnette said it the next day on their podcast. This is basically a warning shot to, he used the word, old, old man's club, that you don't get away with it anymore. He said, this is what it used to be, and players aren't going to allow it anymore. Bissonette was so tied in with the players that the players reached out to him. And I'm with you. I was amazed when we saw the reports about that that's what was happening. And then it's like, yeah, but it was Mike Babcock. And that's the part that was surprising to me. Yarmo Kekalainen, who was with the Blues, incredible individual. I've talked with him a couple of different times. I have to imagine he does his due diligence and goes everything and makes sure that you're checking in the background. Like Doug Armstrong talks about it all the time. He talks to like 15 or 20 different people in his circle to get the approval on what the decision he's looking for. Have to imagine Yarmo and John Davidson did that. But man, does this not look good when you make that hire for a young team that's ready to compete and then fire him before tra- or steps away before training camp. Well, because to me, the, the idea of him as the head coach there in the first place was a weird fit. Mm-hmm. 
because oh, of because of the younger players and because of the younger roster. And then as I'm reading the things that he's saying, like that he took these classes and that he's going to ha- talk to every player about how they want to be dealt with. And as I'm reading this, I'm going. Dude, you're not going to – this is – first of all, I don't feel like this is a feasible way for it to work in an organization. Right. Like, one. And two, like, dude, you you can – I'm not buying what you're selling, that you have made this 360 or 180 and that right. you're completely different now. But also, too, what about that GM? How is he – I mean, you would think the seat has got to be red freaking hot for that guy. Yeah, the ownership – statement that came out said that they were extremely disappointed in the events that took place and I forgot which reporter talked about it but it was somebody in Canada that had it on TSN and they were basically mentioning like I don't understand oh it was Frank Saravalli that said it on Daily Faceoff he said how does Yarmo Kekalainen not follow out Mike Babcock and look Kekalainen is a great general manager and he has built a serious team in Columbus that's the part that's so alarming to me and frankly I think that's a bigger issue with hockey is the recycling of the same head coaches. And sometimes it works. I mean, look, the Blues got Craig Berube, who was fired from Philadelphia. They brought him into the minors, and he had success. Jim Montgomery was with Dallas, got fired, and comes to St. Louis as an assistant, and then is now successful in Boston. It's not like it doesn't work, but it seems to be it's always the same couple of guys, the Mm -hmm. John Tortorellas, the Mike Babcocks. Those are the ones that get brought back that have that old-school mentality Whereas we're seeing success from American Hockey League coaches. Jared Bednar with Colorado was in the AHL. You've got Craig Berube, who had success in the AHL. John Cooper was in the East Coast Hockey League, or the USHL, I believe. These guys have had success in the minors. You see it in baseball. You see it in football, where they go to the assistant coaches. They go to the minor leagues, or they go into um, colleges. I don't understand, and, and we're seeing some of it in the NHL, like um, the, the the guy that was just hired in Washington, uh, Carberry, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was the Hershey Bears head coach. We're seeing that. I don't understand why more teams want to do that in terms of bringing in a head coach that matches the identity of their roster, that that is willing to take that next step and evolve the game rather than the same individuals that are coming back. Well, and also, too, man, I mean, to me – I mean, this is a, a matter of, of of really different mentalities on how you look at playing the game. And these Mike Babcock-type Tortorellas, like, the younger folks are not going to be receptive to the way in which that, they, that, that they're going to coach them. Not at that, all. That, that, like, at all. And one of the things that I have heard about uh, Jared Bednauer is – how much those players freaking love them. Oh, team. yeah. Like, love him. And, I mean, I feel like the same for Craig Berube as well. There seems to be a real balance between honesty and respect that maybe Mike Babcock and Tortorella, they don't really have that sort of balance maybe. I don't know what it is. But, like, you just kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen. Like, ex- like, how long is the Tortorella in Philadelphia thing going to work out? Yeah, and especially now that they're starting to rebuild it all. Right. And Danny Briere has taken over, a former player in the NHL. I, I don't know. I'm surprised that they're with him still. But, I mean, in all reality, a rebuild takes some time. Right. So you don't want to change. I mean, Detroit, look, they just hired that Derek Lalonde from Tampa. What was it, last year or two years ago? They stuck with the same head coach up until Steve Eiserman felt like, okay, we're ready to start at least competing I would imagine that you're going to do that in Philly. But my problem with that is you're having the mindset of those coaches. Yeah. I mean, look at Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes talked about how it was a struggle in Philadelphia with John Tortorella. We've seen Mitch Marner and these players talk about the struggles that they dealt with with Mike Babcock. Imagine being Adam Fantilli, who was drafted third overall to Columbus, 
the excitement that you have to be in the NHL. And frankly, if I'm him, I'm coming to a team that's got Patrick Laine and Johnny Goudreau, like a team that could freaking compete. Yeah. And then I find out that Mike Babcock's my head coach. And then I hear about this and live it, I would imagine, of him snagging phones and putting it up on airplay. Again, I think the bigger issue is, isn't is just what Mike Babcock did. Like, that's an issue in itself yeah, that yeah. the PA is going to say, like, no more. Right. The bigger issue is the recycling of these head coaches and what, why we don't see newer faces coaching in the NHL. Yeah, and, and it is, and it is to me, it's a really surprise. It's a surprise to me in most sports as well because it's, it's obvious that there is a way that the newer athlete wants to be treated. Absolutely. And the, and the old days of... Um, employee, employ, employer, employee. I mean that yeah. that's gone. Army just talked about this uh, the other day at training camp, and somebody asked him what he learned in the off season because you know he mentioned that he feels disconnected from the younger generation. Yeah. And somebody asked him how he or what he did to learn, and he talked about talking with college football recruiters and reading books. And he said, "This is the Y generation," and he said, "It used to be when." A coach or a general manager would tell a player something, and Jamie could speak to this. They would do it. And then the coach would walk away after he said it because he expected it to be done the way he just said. Now they live in a generation, Army said, of when a coach or somebody tells the player to do it, they say why. And it's not a bad thing. It's not, oh, you know, the younger generation. It, it truly is because that player wants to be the best at what they're trying to yeah. do. And when they say, hey, I need you to play more in the defensive zone, Jordan Cairo. Why? Because I'm an offensive guy. It's not, sure, I'll do that. It's why? Because I want to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And that's where this is right now. That's why the Mike Babcocks don't work anymore. Yeah, man. And I would have, frankly, I would have been intrigued to see what it looked like because Babcock has had success. You yeah. can't act like he's a bad head coach. Yeah. But the grind these players to the ground and beat them up until they just submit and do what I want, that's not this generation anymore. It is the why are you wanting this from me? Because if it doesn't make sense for my trajectory, then I'm not going to do it. So then let me ask you this. A question about a guy on the Blues coaching staff in Steve Ott. Yeah. Does Otter have maybe an inside track on being a head coach at some point? Because he seems to have a... He seems to have an ear of the players. Oh yeah, but to also be a coach and, and and to do that side of things, it seems like he is an excellent candidate to ride that fine line and to be able to to be both things. Absolutely, I would be surprised if Steve Ott's not a head coach within the next few years. I mean, frankly, it sucks for Mike Van Ryan that last year went the way that it did because Mike Van Ryan was on a trajectory to be a head coach somewhere. And, yeah. of course, it was a bad year for defense, and I'm sure that changes some things in terms of people's opinion. But both Mike Van Ryan and Steve Ott, I mean, talking with some of the players, they 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 gush over this guy. Yeah. I mean, Steve Ott specifically, especially working with the forwards, he was one of the best centermen when he played. He was the... He was the chirper that could get under not guy's skin, yeah. but he also was such a good forward in terms of his responsibility that connects so well. That's why I think Jim Montgomery is having so much success. He had the ear of the players in St. Louis when he was here. Frankly, he did it in Dallas. And when he got to Boston, you already had the right leadership core in place, but then you have a head coach who brings in a different mindset that is more on the player side because he was a player. Yeah. And I think that's why Craig Berube is so successful. Frankly, Steve Ott's going to be very successful when he is a head coach because he's closer to this generation and played the game closer. It's why I'm actually really intrigued about Mike Weber as the defensive coach. Nothing against Mike Van Ryan. Van Ryan was incredible. 
but Mike Weber played in 2015. Oof. Mike Weber yeah. knows like how to handle these guys. So I, I I do believe Steve Ott is going to be a head coach somewhere. It's just a matter of the right team that he decides to go to. What do you think about? I mean, I, I, I don't know what you really think about it per se, but with in Boston, Montgomery is definitely this is going to be a challenging year for those. Oh Bruins. God, yeah. So you lose Krejcik and you lose Bergeron. Mm-hmm. Here's my question about this, and and this is not a criticism of either one of those players because obviously those are tried and true NHL pros, great players, the whole thing. But I felt as though with the lingering, are am I going to retire? Am I not going to retire? Didn't that actually kind of hurt Boston preparing for next season? I, I be be you know because yeah. if they would have known at the end of the year these guys are out then I think the offseason plan can be tiered a little bit more towards maybe helping try to cover the the losses. Or am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I think it's a little bit of both. Yes, in the side of it hurt them because you were – I don't know if they were expecting both to come back. I think it was pretty obvious that one or both were going to retire. But you were very short on your center depth, and you waited so long for them to wonder what you were going to accomplish. But the no side for me is Boston was already in a cap – uh, uh, and a a bad cap situation. Like uh-huh. they were already in a spot where they had to trade away Taylor Hall for nothing because they couldn't afford him. Mm-hmm. And then they were thinking, okay, we've got these RFAs. Jake DeBrusque is going to be a free agent soon. We got to sign Trent Frederick. And frankly, they've spent a lot of money on the defensive side. I mean, you're talking about McAvoy. You're talking about Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Carlo. Get a lot of money tied up in yeah. your defense. I believe that. Bergeron and Krejci weren't going to make a difference because you were already in a position where you probably had two, maybe $3 million in cap space. The part for them was, let's make a trade for something. They were tied to Elias Lindholm with Calgary, but they got nothing to trade. They've traded all their... This is what happens when you're a team that goes all in every single year. You're trading away picks. You're trading away all of your prospects to get those top players. And then when you're in a situation like this, if you're not developing in the minors or if you're not having success with those late draft picks... Now you're sitting here wondering, what are we going to do? Yeah. Now your top six is a, a couple of guys. Charlie Coyle is your second best centerman on that team. Yeah. Like they still got Marchand and Pasternak. So they're still going to be tough to play against. Right. But yeah, I Boston's taking a significant step back. It's again why St. Louis is so successful in my eyes, even with how bad these last couple of years have been for fans. Look at the draft picks that they struck on. Bull Duke, Neighbors, Snuggerud. Like they struck on those guys 20 to 25 whereas Boston's been drafting 28 to 30, and now they've got nothing to show for two guys retiring. I want to say that I read somewhere, and this could be wrong, but at the next World Juniors, that the Blues could have 10 to 12 players collectively playing. Oh, absolutely. Dude, when I heard that or read that, I was like, oh, Baby, because right? dude, I mean that's that's the pipeline. Yeah. That's that that is such an exciting thing for me to to see. But I think I, I think one of the the as we we move towards the Blues here, I think um, one of the reasons I, I loved hearing you talk about Doug Armstrong and breaking down the why. Gen- yeah, I love that. I do too. Because I feel like that is that man continuing to learn at his job. I have an amazing amount of trust uh, in this individual. That said. That said, that said, this, this is the Donnie part I get excited for. I am just still not convinced that this defense, as it stands now, even with a healthy Tory Krug, not a hurt one, is any different, any better 
than last year. And that, to me, is really, really alarming. I like the forward depth. Our goalies are fantastic. Anybody that says Bennington was the issue last year is an absolute moron. Thank you. But I am concerned about this defense. And also, I'm going to throw this out there, too. Hello to the Twitter and Blues community that yells at me about Colton Pareko. Stop it. Thank you. Okay, stop it. Okay, listen, you want to find something better than Colton, go and do it, okay? But I think that you completely take for granted how good of a player that that guy is, and I also think that you don't take into account that the last year that Petro was here, the last great year that that Pareko had, they were playing together for the love of Pete, weren't they? A number one elite defenseman playing with Colton Pareko. So I think that's probably going to help him a lot. He's still a young player. I don't understand this desire by the fans to just like ditch on somebody like that. Mm-hmm. That and also too, and then not even not even he loves St. Louis. Yeah. He loves it here. He wants to win for us. This is not a dude that does not care. All right. This was not all the defense last year, I understand. The forwards had a lot to do with that. I get it, Jordan Cairo. Get it. I just still am not sure. Yeah. So on the Pareko side of it, there's so much to, to dissect there. And Donnie, when you get fired up, it just makes my days that much better. Uh, when people say, when when you said, find me somebody better for Colton Pareko, add also into the caveat, find me somebody better at six and a half million dollars than Colton Pareko. Exactly. Because they're not. No. Better defensemen than Pareko are eight or nine million dollars. And if we want to discuss the other topic of not bringing back Petro, completely different conversation. I truly believe it was a tough it was going to be a tough road for Pareko when he was named the alpha dog. Mm-hmm. Everybody expected him to become the elite number one defenseman, and that's just not Pareko. Sidetrack with that, though. On the defenseman in general, I understand the concern. I'm the one on the optimistic side, and uh, save your um, your cheeky jokes of, oh, well, the right holder believes that the Blues are going to be good. What else is new? Here's the thing. Yes, they were awful last year, and I can argue that. And for people that say it's the same defense – it is, but it's also the same defense two years ago, and I understand the the Dom from the Athletic flashing red lights of this is going to be bad, this is going to be bad. It wasn't though. Mm-hmm. They 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 gave up a lot of opportunities, and Huso saved their bacon multiple times. So did Jordan Bennington. But let's also remember what they did in that playoff series against Minnesota. Like they eliminated that offense for Minnesota. A lot of it because of Bennington, but also because of that defense. Here's the key in this defense to me. There's two of them. One is what Mike Weber does with this group. I, I think getting a a closer to the NHL defenseman is going to benefit a group of guys who are already established in their ways. Falk, Krug, Letty, Pareko—they've been around the block. They understand what it takes to be a defenseman. You're not you're not changing the the world with these guys. So Mike Weber is going to come in and instill a little bit of a different mindset, I believe. But it's also Marco Scandella. And I know people hear that and they say, Alex, you are stupid. Marco Scandella, the difference? Hear me out. You didn't have Scandella last season. And when you did have Scandella, he wasn't 100%. And when he played in that little that little window that I'm showing you right now, the Blues actually were better defensively. Like, I think significantly they dropped about a half a goal per game allowed when Scandella was in the lineup last season compared to when he wasn't. But go back to the year prior. When Marco Scandella was in the lineup, your penalty kill was top five. You were in the middle in terms of goals allowed, and you were a tougher team to play against. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the understanding of Marco Scandella in your top four, and Marco Scandella might be your bottom pair this season because Letty and Krug are here, and then where does Scott Perunovic play? 
you do have depth this season on defense. I'm not going to act like it's going to be significantly better because, frankly, I don't know. I haven't seen them play yet. There's one thing to say it, and then there's another thing to see it. But for the people that say, well, they were terrible last year, yeah, but they weren't terrible two years ago, mm-hmm. and it was the exact same defense. Frankly, it was worse of a defense because you had Jake Wallman playing in your top four, and no disrespect to Jake Wallman, but yeah. he was in your top four. Mikola was in your top four. Then you went and got Letty, and things shored up a little bit. You're so right. that's that's where I come on this one. Yeah, well, that I mean that makes a lot of sense. And then also too, I feel like a real dumbass when I talk about <laughs> when I, when I talk about uh, ah, man, I don't. I don't feel good about this defense with Colton Pareko, Tori Krug, Nick Letty, Justin F- like what do I want? You know what I mean? Like like it's it when you're when you're mentioning those names, I start to feel silly and go, "Okay, maybe it's an anomaly last year yeah. and we can sort of they can get things back like, on like, track." Like there's a lot of teams that have significantly better defense. Like Dallas, Colorado, Minnesota, and honestly, I would say Nashville in this division have better to top four defensemen than you. Mm-hmm. I'm, but as an all-around team, I would say it's Colorado, Dallas, and then where I'm putting it is St. Louis and Minnesota close with each other in that third-place spot. Is there anybody, um, and obviously it's very early on, but is there anyone that you see crashing a roster spot, stealing a roster spot, somebody that maybe comes out of nowhere that we didn't think could make the team, but yep. all of a sudden plays his ass off and makes the team. So we talked about this the other day on uh, on BK and Ferrario, and it's weird because it does feel like guys can crack this roster, but they're fighting for one spot. So Doug talked about this the other day about the PTOs that he let in, uh, Nick Ritchie and Isaac Ratcliffe. Those are two guys that are tryouts that if they make the team, they can earn a contract either from St. Louis or or elsewhere. He said that he told them before they signed on a PTO here in St. Louis, you're competing to crack a roster spot in terms of forwards from 7 to 15. And the Blues, I think, and I did this yesterday, it's it's argumentative however you want to go with it, but one through six is established. It's Thomas Kyrou, Buchnevich, it's Shen. I put Brandon Saad in that list, and I put Kasperi Kapanen in that list. Those are the guys that it just seems like have the, the respect of the coaching staff they are going to be in the top six. Then seven through 15, you're talking about the Veranas and Hayes and Blaze and all of these guys that are going to make it. But at the back end of that, it's the McEachern, Walker, And I forgot who that last one was, but there was another one on a one-way deal as a forward. Those are the guys—oh, Alexandrov. Those are the guys that are already probably expected to make the roster, and then you get to everybody else. I think Bolduc falls into that conversation. I think Dean falls into that conversation. I think Nick Ritchie falls into that conversation. Radcliffe. And then there's one other dude that I'm a little excited about. I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis. His name's Andre Heim. They brought him over from Europe to play this season. Could be AHL bound, but I liked him in the prospect games that they played. I'm looking at that grouping of five guys that could take one of the roster spots from either McEachern or Alexandrov or Walker. That's kind of where I'm at, but that's what's so weird about it, Donnie. Like I, I just mentioned five guys that could crack the roster, and really they're fighting for the 12th and 13th roster yeah, spot because yeah. your fourth line could be Torpchenko, Sunquist, and Sammy Blay next season. Ooh. Yeah, like that's a fourth line for you right hold, there. Hold on, hold on. Say that, say that for me one more I'm time. I'm gonna say it slow, and I'm gonna give you one of my like uh, jazz voices. Yeah, here. go ahead. <clears throat> Torpchenko. Yeah. Sunny. Oh, baby. And Sammy Blay. I love it. Also, too, but seriously, that is a nightmare to play against. Right. That is a fourth line that will bring the hammer every time. And here's the even better part. 
if they get a, if they like the idea, because Sammy Blay in the first day of training camp was skating as a third pair. He was playing with Hayes, and I think it was Bullduke. Neighbors was on your fourth line. So Neighbors, who should be a top nine forward, Neighbors might be on a fourth line for you. And that's where it gets interesting, because we all remember Doug Armstrong's comments last year of like, look, we're going to slow play these guys. We're not just going to throw them in the ocean with no life vest. If it doesn't work, we're going to pick them up, and we're going to place them in a smaller pool. Neighbors could be in the AHL if it doesn't work out for him right away because this team does have a lot of dudes who could play on the fourth line. You don't want Neighbors playing fourth line minutes if right. you think he's a top six forward. Absolutely. But I think the expectation and hope is Neighbors plays in your top nine and Blay is on your fourth line. And you're talking, Donnie, this could be, and I'm going to say this, but I'm going to make my first bold statement of the season with oh, you on I Last like Minute it. Blues I like podcast. It. Here we go, hot take. This could be as good of a fourth line as the Blues had in 2019 with Steen, Sonny, and Barbashev. I believe that. Toropchenko is a dude who showcased he could score 15 goals and he plays physical and he's good penalty kill-wise. We all know with Oscar Sundquist what he is. Welcome back, Sonny. Welcome back, Sonny. He had a man bun the other day at content day. Oh, I'm going to be so happy for this guy. Walked in, looked like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. Just love that man. And then Sammy Blay. Sammy Blay scored, what was it, like 15 goals in 30 games at the end of the season? That fourth line could be as productive as your third line this upcoming season. This is what Craig Berube hasn't had since 2019, a fourth line that he can rely on. Yeah. Now, late in a game, you're up by a goal. You throw that fourth line out there now. Last year, you couldn't do that. Last year, you weren't going to throw Tyler Pitlick and Alexandrov and Torpchenko out there because right. you just didn't trust it. Now, you know Sonny's going to go out there and fight for that puck. Sammy Blay is going to create space, and Torpchenko is going to do what they ask him to do. Uh, here's a real sticky question, and you might not know the answer to it, and you might not want to answer it, but do you believe that there will be any um, NHL ramifications for Kapanen? There's So Armstrong said that he does not expect any. He said okay. that he's heard from both sides. He said he stands by the statement that they put out there, uh, but he said he does not expect any issues this season for Kapanen. He said he feels like it's been all dealt with and that right. they're just going to move forward with no ramifications. Okay. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a little surprising yeah. to me, especially because I, I did. And I think it was Matt DeFranks that asked from the post-dispatch. He said, like, is he going to have to go back to Finland like in February um, to, to handle this? And Army said no, from his understanding. And he said something could change. But Army said from his understanding, uh, Kapanen is all ready to go for the upcoming season. And it's behind him and the Blues. Well, I'm curious about him this year. I'm curious. I mean, I'm curious about a lot of players. I'm curious about Verona. Yeah. You know, I, that, 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 because there were times last year where I watched him play, and I'm just like, this guy's phenomenal. And then you, you, you kind of see, oh wh- god, yeah, why he has, you know, the Blues have gotten him. I mean, he sometimes just doesn't feel like playing D whatsoever. Um, <laughs> what but, else is new, right? Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, but there are just some fascinating uh, people here, and then just this this sort of cusp of the next wave Mm -hmm. is really exciting to me as well. Like, it just seems like they are in a a real good spot. Now, I'm not saying Stanley Cup Finals this year per se, but this is definitely moving in the right direction. If they don't make the playoffs this year... If they don't make the playoffs this year, this team will not look the same as it does next year. It won't. And and I I know, oh, you said that last year. Yeah, but the cap's going up. Doug is going to force his way into making some type of moves. He's even, he's even said it. The entire staff is believing that last year was an anomaly, and if it wasn't, then changes are going to be made. And, and to your point, going back to the World Juniors and all those players, Donnie, when was the last time you as a Blues fan have been this excited about a prospect pool? 
Oh God! I, I honestly, Alex, it's I don't. It's got to be Oshie, Berglund, Ian Cole, David Perron. That group that like out of the lockout. Yeah, but this seems even deeper than that. Am I crazy in saying that? It, I, I think it does in the sense of where you drafted these guys. Now mm-hmm. that's where you got to temper the expectations because like you did draft Snuggery. What was it? Twenty fifth overall. You did draft. Um, why am I, why am I blanking on his name right now? Uh. Not to, you didn't draft Zachary Dean. Zachary Dean from Vegas, like he was drafted yeah. later in the first round. Um, Jake Neighbors has been drafted later in the first round. Bullduke, like 2018. Oshie and Berglund, those guys were drafted like top 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. So like those were higher expected draft picks. Got it. But from everything we've heard, Snuggerud seems like he's going to be a top six winger. Dvorsky seems like he's going to be a top six center. Bullduke looks like he's got the potential to be a 25 goal scorer in the NHL. Now you've got Zachary Dean, who's a good second or third line centerman. At least the projections look like forward wise, you're in a really you're in a as good of a spot as I can remember. Goaltending wise, you're in a really good spot. Yeah. Joel Hofer, Vadim Zarenko is going to be a dude people are going to be talking about this year in the minors. That's another dude that he's going to be breaking onto the scene sooner or later. He had a good year last year, played well for them in that prospect games against up in Minnesota. He's going to be the number one in Springfield if Joel Hofer makes the team. Defense is the murky waters right mm-hmm. now. And frankly, that's the position you knew you were in. You've got a couple of guys who could get to top four defensemen, but you don't have that elite defenseman. But uh, you never know how that turns out. You know, Skaparunovic could turn into something for you. You could make a trade at some point to get younger in that area. But that's the murky waters. But offensively and goaltending-wise, yeah, you're deep. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, uh, you know, I think a lot of us Blues fans were very, very excited about the news of Braden Shin being named the uh, the captain of the team. This just to me seems like the complete and total obvious answer. I guess the thing that some other folks talked about is maybe putting it on Robert Thomas yeah. since he was going to be here for a while. But Braden Shin is, I mean, he's very much becoming one of my very favorite Blues players ever. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love this guy. I love what he brings to the team. Um, he has said some things about being a leader, like saying that he learned from Alex Steen and watched Alex Steen. What do you think that means? I I think that means how to handle a locker room. 
how to handle a locker room because Alexander Steen, in my opinion, was one of the best to do it. You had Petro, you had Jay Bowmeister, you had a lot of lead Ryan O'Reilly on that team in 2019. But Alexander Steen was always the guy that was able to bring everybody together in terms of young players coming in. Steener would be the one that hops in immediately. He would be making sure everybody was getting together out on road trips, keeping keeping the spirits high. You need that. Mm-hmm. And last year, I think it was lost. Not anything against Ryan O'Reilly, but Ryan O'Reilly had a lot of things going on in his own world, trying to figure out if he was going to be a captain again for the Blues, if he was going to get a new contract, is his family going to be moving, how do I get this team out of a snowball that they're playing with right now? He had no opportunity to really focus on everybody else because, I mean, frankly, not to be selfish, but that's what it is, like your livelihood. Um, Steen was that guy that you always looked towards when things were bad. Steen would always talk with the media. Steen would always... Um, answer the hard questions in in as respectful of a way as possible, but he also would be able to relay the messaging along with Petro and Bowmeister. He was able to relay the messaging from the coach. And Army, uh, again, said something the other day at training camp that really struck me. He said, it used to be the coach was the identity of the captain. Now it's the captain's the identity of the coach. And that's where I think it is right now for the Blues, where you named Braden Shen the captain because, and I'm not going to say this because I'm relaying information. I'm saying this just because everybody's asking, oh, is Craig Bruby on the hot seat? I don't believe he is. If people believe he is, whatever. But if he is, you make Braden Shen the captain so Braden Shen can make sure whatever messaging is getting mixed up from Craig Bruby to the locker room is now relayed to all of these players. Yeah. Braden Shen is respected among everybody in that locker room. So Braden Shen, he talked about culture the other day when he had his press conference. He said that culture is kind of overblown. It's more about consistency and making sure you're here to work hard. Braden Shen is going to be the hardest worker in the room. And if your captain's doing that, everybody else is going to have to follow. I, I'm just, first of all, I would just like to say for the record, and this has been consistent for me for the last couple of years in this podcast, I would run through a brick wall for Craig Berube right now. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I, that dude, and With then, that being said, I, he also makes me go to the bathroom in my pants when I see him. <laughs> I, would, I would assume so, man. Because he's just intimidating as all hell. Yeah. I saw him at the draft, and I interviewed him at the draft before with the first pick, and you could tell the individual was just, like, he was doing the interview with me, like he is incredible he's gracious with his time but he was also kind of staring daggers through you and i don't think he meant to i just think that's craig baruby and i'm like man you are one into intimate like imagine craig baruby at the dmv you uh, don't make craig baruby wait at the dmv right sir go ahead yeah please if everybody's sitting around him they see his ticket and he's like z45 yeah. and they're on b's if i'm that here Take take my take my slip. But also as a St. Louisan, the guy that brought us the Stanley Cup deserves to jump the line. Very true. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Anybody on that team, I'm letting jump the line in Very, front of me. But there's always somebody at the DMV, Donnie, that's not man, I was here first. Oh, of course. But again. And then then you know what? I'll be there to say, hey, yeah. did you help us win us? <laughs> Excuse me, a Stanley Cup? No, you didn't, so shut up. <laughs> and then I'll be the hero to say, look that man in the eyes and tell him you were here first. I guess because I promise you won't. Okay, this doesn't. This is, has nothing to do with the blues, but this is so awesome. So there's a DMV right down the street here on Olive. Mm-hmm. And the last time that I had to re-up my license, uh, I went down there with the whole, like, oh, God, I got to go to the DMV. I'm going to be there for forever. This is going to suck. First of all, I was not there 10 full minutes. Wow. The ladies that worked in this office, Olive uh, in Creve Corps, were so funny 
and sweet and wonderful. The first time that they took my picture for the license, there was a lady that said, oh, that wasn't a good one. We got to do this again. And then I tried to smile, and she was like, what's wrong with your face? She's like, stop doing that. And so then I naturally smiled because she made me laugh, and then they got the picture. Boom. But, but it was like, like, be on your toes, man. <laughs> like, I love that. Dude, I loved it too. And also, if I would have had to have waited longer to watch them do that to other people, I would have completely signed up for that too, man. Like, it was just, it was... It, it was. You know how you make the DMV fun? You make it a comedy shop. That's how you make it a fun time, and that's what those ladies sound Dude. like they did. All right, so tell us. So tell me because I don't remember. Preseason game. When does that start? So the first preseason game is Saturday. It's the doubleheader against the Arizona Coyotes. But then beyond that, I think they play on Monday. There's eight total games that lead them up to that first game of the season, which is October 10th. Uh, so in preseason games, I'm on the hour before on 101 ESPN. Me and Joe Vitale. Um, and then uh, the hour or so afterwards, post game. You know, I break it all down, Donnie. Preseason is not preseason. It's like game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold everyone accountable on these preseason oh, games. Oh boy, boy. Well, that's well because that's what, yeah because that's what the goddamn crazy wackadoo Blues fans do. Oh my is God. if they lose the first game five to one, then the season is over. Fire Barubi, fire Armstrong. Yeah. Why are we doing it? When they're playing the B squad. No, I'm sorry, the C squad of the Arizona Coyotes because the A squad is out in uh, Australia for their game and then there's double headers for the blues and coyotes so like you know temper the brakes i don't remember what post it was last week the blues made some it was a fun post and i don't know if the guys were playing like a game or something but i'm reading these comments man and it is just so befuddling to me why any of these people watch hockey at all because it seems to make them completely freaking miserable. It's like it's like you can't and are not allowed to just like enjoy it without being like super critical and hateful and like yep. nasty. It is so bizarre. Yep. Like I just I love you know like I love you you love sports. I love sports. I love my Bills. I love my Cardinals. I love my Blues, but like if at some point it became not fun, I would just on. not watch them anymore, man. I always joke with my dad. People aren't going to like this, but my dad he was a Bill Belichick fan. And I would always joke with him when I was younger like he'd be watching Patriots games and I'm like, "Dad, why are you watching the Patriots? This is when like the Rams were here." And he's like, "I like to watch winning teams." And I'm like, the hell does that mean? He's like, I like to watch winning teams. And if this team's not going to start winning, I'm going to watch another winning team. And then I'm going to watch another winning team. Like he was diehard St. Louis, but then it was, I, he always kind of, he, he shifted towards the, the teams that were successful because he always found it interesting. Detroit was another one in the nineties, biggest blues fan, you'd know, but he always would watch Detroit and I'd be like, why are you watching Detroit? Because he was always interested of why this team was so freaking dominant. Yeah. And he's like, how do you become this team? And I think that's a cool thing to do. And that's the sports world that, I, that I've that i lived in to where it's like when it doesn't go well, you kind of start to learn from other teams and figure out. Like Cardinals fans right now, I'm miserable because the Cardinals stink. Yeah. But you watch Atlanta, you're like, this is awesome. How do you do that? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I've always kind of found it. But see, I respect, I, I respect somebody like legitimately saying – I like to watch teams that win. Yeah. I, I I respect that a whole hell of a lot more than somebody that is like a dot. I, the, the 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 number of bandwagon oh, Chiefs yeah. fans in St. Louis drives me 
absolutely jump bonkers. on, jump off. And, and so I would rather just have somebody say, "Yeah, man, I like teams when they're good." Yeah, I would. Mm, that to me is 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 a refreshing bit of honesty that I would greatly it's appreciate. The way, it's the way to learn how to build that successful team. And like, yeah, I understand the Patriots were cheaters, absolutely. But you watch techniques that certain guys. Do. It's what actual coaches do in in the game. They, they study other coaches to find out what makes them successful, and then they bring it into their game. I just think that's a cool way to go about it. Last year when the Blues stunk, I found myself watching the Florida Panthers yeah. and thinking, man, how are they doing this? Now, some of that's Matthew Kachuk. We don't have to relive those wounds. That's not fun for anybody. But like you watch it, and you're like, damn, how do you get back to that? Because that's the fun type of hockey. And then you always shift back to your team. But yeah, that on and off again, that's never fun. I, I'm just I, I'm I'm just not there for that. And that's when I just get real uh, uh I guess real pissy oh, as yeah. a sports fan, because I just cannot but also too and you're probably asking would I be less pissy with the Chiefs if the Bills won the Super Bowl? A hundred percent. Probably. I would yes. probably care a lot less. Yes, some of this is jealousy and bitterness. A hundred percent. Donnie, that first week of the NFL season, I was very worried. I was going to put out a PSA for all televisions in Donnie Fandango's home. Dude. So what happened was the first. Okay, I'm not proud of what I called Aaron Rodgers before he got hurt. It might have been geriatric F. Now, th- but he got hurt, and then I stopped that. Geriatric but fat guy. I, I get it, man. As I'm watching that first half, I'm going, I know how this is. I know where this is going. Yep. I know where this is going. And, um, but that's the part of being the fan, that's man. The like, best like, part. you know, like, you know, I, I am incredibly nervous about this Bills season. The AFC is stacked. I am, there are I have significant questions about my team. <laughs> It makes, as I'm talking about it, my insides are, but I love it. Like, I love it. I would never, I would never want it to be anything different because then when we win the big playoff game or when we win, it's just so great. That's that's why I've loved doing this blues thing. I think this is like my eighth or ninth year doing blues pre and post. And the excitement that I get and the frustration that I get, it's so it's so it's such a high, you know. Like yeah. like two years ago when they lost on that final shot by Colorado, I was devastated. Like I didn't know how I was going to do a pre uh, post game. I was pissed. But then you live 2019, and it's like you're chasing that gold every single season. You got it. And that's the excitement of this preseason. They're not winning the Stanley Cup this year. If they do, wow, they're not. But you're chasing that again. And like you're always chasing that ultimate high. That's what 2019 was for me. You're doing that with the Bills. Cardinals fans are doing that from 2011 still. You're always chasing that high. That's and, what makes it so fun. And also, too, so I there was a solid month, man, maybe even more, that I did not watch an inning of a Cardinal game. Like I was oh, just, yeah. I was, I was out. But I have been watching more the last few weeks. <clears throat> pardon me again. And I, I got to tell you, man, my perspective on this has changed a lot in the last couple of months. And obviously, I think seeing Jordan Walker uh, become what he is becoming Absolutely. and and, and the, the tools that Mason Wynn oh has and Nolan Gorman. and I mean, there are some real reasons to be stoked if you're a Cardinal fan. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do on that pitching staff, Mo. Hello. <laughs> but, like, there's reason for that optimism, and I'm I'm – I really have missed that with my Cardinals because even a couple of years ago when they were okay, it still just didn't feel like a team that could make it to the finish line. And I'm not saying that they're anywhere close to that finish line right now, but at least you start to see some of those pieces of the puzzle 
start to get filled in there. It's what last year was for the Blues. I mean, I do think that both teams are going through what each just went through. Blues are going through what the Blues went through what the Cardinals are going through right now, and the Cardinals are about to try and accomplish what the Blues did in the offseason of building hope back. Mm-hmm. And the Blues didn't have it on defense, and people were like, "This team sucks." Then they made the trades for uh, Verana. They claimed Kapanen. They brought back Blay. They bring in Kevin Hayes. You bring in some players in the offseason. You'd have some successful drafts. One successful draft when you're drafting in the top ten. Uh, hello, Cardinals. Now you're going into the season thinking, okay, this tur- this could turn around in one season. The Cardinals go out and have success on two pitchers, have a really good draft, make a couple of trades, bada boom, bada bing, we're sitting here going, okay, I can see how this gets done. Yeah. There, it is so identical in terms of what these two teams are about to go through or went through to what this upcoming season can be. And look, the Cardinals could have a dud next year. The Blues could have a dud this year. But it's progress. That's how I always kind of judge that. Yeah. It's like, are you making – if you go out and do the same offseason, have the same results, you're not doing anything. The Blues, you went out and you did something different. You brought in a Kevin Hayes. All right, let's see what that looks like. It's progress there. And that's where I think the Cardinals are at right now, and I'm with you. I think the tools are all there to get you excited. The offense on both sides is what gets you really excited. A couple of young players get you really excited. Pitching, defense. That's where we're looking at this upcoming season to figure out. It's like, okay, are you going to improve? I think I might ask for a Jordan Walker jersey for Christmas. That's a good one. You know what I mean? That's a really good one. That dude, like everything about not only him as a player, but him as a person, he seems phenomenal. He's going to be my next dude. Nolan Arenado is still like my go-to. I, yeah. I freaking love that dude. It's it's something about third baseman, Donnie. Scott Rowland was my, my – everybody loved Pujols. I did too. Loved me some Scott Rowland. Dude, 100%. Yeah. It's the hot corner, man. Yeah. Because when you get a guy that can pick it over there. Yeah. And then on top of it can hit. Mm-hmm. But but it is something to me that is so extraordinary about playing third base that Scott Rowland and Nolan are not like not only like the reflex to be able to do it, but obviously like the work every mm-hmm. day to make these impossible plays and to make them look kind of easy. And sometimes. Scott Rowland wasn't like a uh, you know like third base now is you have to be agile and mobile. Scott Rowland was not Scott Rowland was a dude that tossed hay in the offseason. Like yeah. that's that kind of dude. He yeah. should have been probably playing first base, but that dude made moves that nobody else could make at third base. Yeah. I freaking loved him growing up. I, I probably why I met Arenado. When they when they traded for him, yeah. that was a great day for oh me. Oh my god. Yeah. Like that was I a love great me some Palacido Polanco, but nah, <laughs> Scott Rowland, you're my new hero. Oh, I miss you, Placido Polanco. <laughs> All right. So uh we will do this again very shortly for our friends uh, Jeff Burton and Jamie Rivers, Alex Ferrario, and Donnie Fan. Dango. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. As always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.